Hey Valley Church, thanks for joining us this weekend. My name is Brandon, I'm one of the pastors on staff and you can't see everything that I can see here uh, where we're recording. I'm seeing behind everything. I'm seeing who's behind the camera. Uh, I've got uh, a friend in the back. He's gonna be running our slides. Like there's behind the stage, behind the scenes, everything happening all around us. And that's, that's kind of a thing, you know, a behind the scenes peek, a behind the scenes look. Uh, my kids, they're like constantly watching YouTube and some of their favorite YouTubers are guys who are just doing normal everyday stuff in life and they're just shooting it. They're kind of getting an up close, personal, authentic, real view of these people that they've never met. Uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, maybe you've experienced the same thing. Maybe you've watched a behind the scenes video uh, on TV or you know, a behind the scenes whatever of a movie that you liked. And you can kind of see that a uh, movie who has incredible CGI, when you look behind the scenes, it's somebody who's probably wearing a weird suit and they've got ping pong balls all over their face because they're going to do some post editing and tracking and graphics and it's just incredible. It's like, wow, that's not the movie I watched at all. Behind the scenes reveals so much, or, or maybe that's not you. Maybe you've had the privilege of getting backstage passes to uh, your favorite concert. I don't know if you know this about me. I used to be a DJ. I got backstage passes all the time. And meeting some of my favorite bands, it just totally ruined my experience, right? Because when you go behind the curtain, you lose, you lose all of the lights, you lose all of the smoke. It reveals everything. There's, there's no show. There's no smoke and mirrors. It's authentic. And there's a lot of good to that, but if you're not ready for it, it can, it can be kind of crazy seeing somebody's flaws. They're just kind of maybe behind the scenes, it's a little unimpressive. I got to tell you this, that's not so with God. The closer you and I get to God, uh, the, the more impressive he is. You know, and if you and I, if we can just today see in Revelation chapter four what's actually happening, I promise you this, it will change the way you worship in the best possible way for the rest of your life. You know, uh, Revelation chapter four, verse one starts with John receiving backstage passes to the throne room to where, to where all of this incredible worship is happening. Here's, here's verse one of chapter four. After this, I looked and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, it's a familiar voice, things are happening. And he's, he's hearing a, a voice he remembers and it says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. After John dictated these seven letters to the seven churches, we, we transition to the vision we see in chapter four. And actually, we can see an outline of all of Revelation in Revelation chapter one, verse 19. And here's what it says. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is, and what will take place after this. This is a, like a, a beautiful and simple outline of the book of Revelation. Uh, John was asked to write what you have seen. And you might remember Revelation chapter one, he had this incredible vision of Jesus. And then he says, I want you to write what is. In other words, he's saying, uh, I need you to write seven letters to the churches right now. There's these seven churches, they need a word. This is what's happening. This is what I want from them. And what will take place after this? And that's where we are, where we're turning the corner uh, a third time. Uh, in chapter one, he sees a vision of Jesus. In chapters two and three, he's writing what is in these letters to the churches. And then the scene turns in chapter four to what will take place. So after 
this. After he has written these seven letters, and there in heaven was an open door, the first voice that I had heard speaking to me like that of a trumpet said, come up here. It's about to break loose. John's about to see something incredible from a familiar voice. And before we get into the passage, I just want to read the passage in its entirety so you can hear it and see it in its context. Uh, This is Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speak to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had appeared, uh, uh, the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes and with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered the eyes in front and in back. They were, able to, uh, they were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third creature, the third living creature, had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes all around and inside. Day and night, they, were, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne And they say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. This is the word of God. And as we read this, we are like, are you kidding me? Like John gets to see all of this. He has this incredible invitation from a familiar voice saying, come up here. And immediately, immediately it says, I was in the spirit and there was a throne in heaven and, and someone, someone was seated on it. John seems to ascend to the heavenly throne room and immediately he receives this new vision. Uh, this is the second vision that we see in Revelation and he, he sees the heavenly throne room in its present reality. This worship is what's happening right now. You know, there, there are a lot of things that he sees that, that that's going to be very difficult to, to describe. He, he's like, this is what I see, and it's like this, and it's like that. And he's trying to show us what he's seeing, but, but some things are going to be more easily described than others. And, and the thing that's the most easy to describe is the throne. This, this seat and symbol of a king. Um, you, you might have a chair like that in your life, right? I mean, uh, uh, is there a dad's chair in the living room? Like, you know that when, when your dad walked home, like when he, when he walked in that front door, like you needed to get out of that chair because that's his chair. Or, or maybe you're at mom's work and she's got you there and you kind of pop into her office and you sit in her chair, you know. She's like, get out of my chair, that's my chair. You know, you, you want to sit there 
but you know you don't belong there. That's not your chair. I, I don't know about you, but, but I want to sit on the throne from time to time. But that spot's not for me. There's been a, a power struggle since the moment sin entered the world. There has been a power struggle since that moment in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And there's a struggle right now between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. You know, in thrones for us, I mean, they, they seem like distant history. It's not something that's really an American culture. Maybe, maybe when you think of a throne, you think of a seat in a fairy tale or maybe a royal seat for somebody in a TV show. For John and for those who would be reading this letter in his own handwriting, they, they would have a distinct picture of who's sitting on the throne. They would have a distinct picture of a land ruled by Rome. And the Roman throne, it was a source of fear for these first century Christians. But, but the scene surrounding the throne that John sees is, is not filled with fear. It's filled with celebration and praise. And John's like, you know, we know what earthly kings are. But let me tell you who is seated on this throne and see if you would ever confuse him with an earthly king. You know, John's about to describe the timeless presence of God in, in his heavenly court. He's, he's like, let me describe to you what is indescribable. He's like, I'm going to do my best. And when we get to this chapter, you're going to see that John has a difficult time describing what he sees. Uh, that means that you and I, we're not going to have every little detail figured out as we roll through Revelation chapter 4 or the whole book as a whole. You know, we can't figure out every symbol. We don't have a, a direct understanding of every number and every creature and every feature. And if you end up trying to figure all that out, you're going to wind up stuck and frustrated. What we're going to do is we're going to read through Revelation and we're going to take to heart what's clear. You know, there's a profound celebration happening. We can see that. Uh, there's a profound celebration happening in the depiction that John is giving us, which is happening in real time, which is happening in our time. What is being described is happening right now in heaven, in the throne room. Such descriptive words to describe what he sees, which is pretty much indescribable. Look at verse 3. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Like, we know that someone is seated on the throne, and John doesn't give us a name. He doesn't draw us a picture because this, this one sitting on the throne is absolutely indescribable. But this is something that everybody needs to see. There is a throne, and the throne is occupied, and God is on it. He's not only the center of attention, but he's the object of all of the attention in this room. And we see these beautiful stones. The one seated on the throne radiates brilliance and glory and holiness. And there's a rainbow there. Rainbows are absolutely beautiful, right? I mean, to a child, a rainbow is like seeing a cartoon in the sky. And as an adult, whenever I see a rainbow, I still pause, I freeze, and I just take in its beauty. If you've never seen a double rainbow, I got to tell you, you're missing out. And yet the rainbows that we see, they're, they're mostly incomplete, right? They're just an arc. But not this rainbow. It's not an incomplete circle. This rainbow in this room is surrounding the throne. And it shines with the, the, the beauty of, of an emerald. You know, in this rainbow, it, it reminds me, it, it might remind you of uh, God's covenant promise that he made with Noah 
that he would never destroy the earth and the people on the earth with a flood ever again. What a beautiful reminder here in this room of God's covenant promise to man, a reminder of his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness. Around the throne uh, were 24 thrones and, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. There's a lot of opinions about what the 24 elders are. Who are these 24 elders? Some say when you read the Old Testament, you see that there are 24 priests that serve God in the temple. Uh, and, and many others say that this is a clear reflection of Israel's 12 tribes and the 12 disciples of the New Testament. What we can know as we look at this scene, we can absolutely know that they're sitting around the throne. They're facing the throne. And in their royal robes and royal crowns, they are facing the King of Kings. They're, they're worshiping. These white robes indicate purity and victory. Golden crowns revealing that they're part of this royal family. And then in verse 5, flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. You know, I want to see that, right? Uh, I know if you're a dad, you're like, I want to see that too. I just want to stand in my garage and watch I mean, every dad does this. When there's a terrible storm, when weather's coming, we just stand in our garage and watch it. And to be able to see this, to be John, to look at this wild lightning and peals of thunder, it would have been magnificent. And then we see God. We see, we see God's radiant beauty and glory in the jewels. And we see his power and his majesty in and, and the flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. And before the throne, we see the seven spirits of God. Now, this is not seven different spirits. Pastor Quentin spoke about this a couple of times already. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, This is the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. This is the presence and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Look at, look at verse 6. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Try to imagine this. I mean, how big is this space? Something like a, a, a sea of glass? This throne room is so grand that something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was before the throne. And I, I don't know what he's seeing. I don't, I don't know what he's trying to describe, but it's not small. It's grand. And you might not know this uh, about glass of this time. You know, when I was in Israel a few years ago, uh, somebody let me hold Roman glass, uh, a glass tear jar, 2,000 years old. They set it in my hand. It was so delicate. It was so beautiful, um, but it wasn't clear. It's not like the glass you and I might think of today. They just didn't have the technology to make glass clear. It would be murky. The glass that John would know would be semi-opaque. And so God's glory is not flooding through a sea of glass. It is reflecting off of whatever John is seeing. His glory is bouncing and shining off of everything. And then John keeps going. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Uh, each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes 
all around. It makes me wonder if these were moms. They had eyes in the back of their head, right? No, they weren't moms. These, these creatures, again, they're just kind of undescribable. He says, this is what it kind of looks like. It kind of looks like a lion. It kind of looks like an ox, kind of like a man. One looks kind of like a, a flying eagle. John sees four creatures and they are alive. Four living creatures. It's not every day that you get to see something like this. And he's describing a combination of what we read in Isaiah chapter 6 and in Ezekiel chapters 1 and chapters 10. What John is seeing here are angels, uh, cherubim and seraphim angels. Angels that are aware, they're alive, they're worshiping and glorifying God with everything they have. And then scripture says, day and night. They never stopped saying day and night they never it's constant the praise coming from these creatures goes on and on and on it's like what they're saying it, have you ever had a jingle stuck in your head a song stuck in your head and you just can't get it out uh, like if I said red robin did you say yum I know I would have I got jingles I just can't get these jingles and these songs out of my head but this isn't going to be like that it's, it's not a bad thing. It, it's not a jingle stuck in your head. It's shouts of praise and adoration from, from spectacular angelic beings surrounding the throne of God day and night, day and night. And this is what they are proclaiming. Holy, holy, holy Lord God, the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. He is perfect in every conceivable way. Holy, holy, holy. God the Father, holy. Jesus, holy. The Holy Spirit, holy. Perfect. Perfection. These creatures are unceasing in their worship, day and night. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God the Almighty, who was, meaning He has always been. Who is, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever and who is to come. He is infinite. He is eternal on both ends, and the angels are proclaiming that day and night. How long have they been proclaiming that? I don't really have dates down. I, my calendar doesn't go back that far. But if you and I roll back 750 to, to 800 years before this moment, we read this in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, familiar language, from Revelation 4, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Let me just tell you real quick, when, when he is saying in the year King Uzziah died, he's saying this marks the end of a time of strength and prosperity for our people. To those people, this was the year their world was falling apart right before their very eyes. And even though that's happening, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he goes on to say, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. These 
these seraphim, these, these angels, they were not shy at all. These angels were, were giving loud shouts of acclamation and praise. And then Isaiah says this, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He says, woe is me, woe to me. Not like, he's not being sad, he's not scared, he's, he's not fearing for his life, there's no terror. What we see in the text is absolute reverence. Have you ever seen the Grand Canyon? I don't know if you have. You've seen pictures, but if you've been there. I, I was there with my family, and uh, as, as we approached the Grand Canyon, I don't remember which one of my boys said it. I just heard them say, huh, I thought it'd be bigger. <laughs> I'm like, really? You thought it would be bigger than this? And, and maybe he was joking. Maybe he just couldn't see the expanse of the Grand Canyon. But compared to every hole that I have ever seen, the Grand Canyon was striking. And yet, it doesn't compare at all to the beauty and the glory and the majesty of what Isaiah is seeing. Isaiah is at all. He sees God. He's like, is that God? How is it that I haven't given more? How is it that I have kept so much for myself? How is it that I've held back so much in my life? This is who is in my corner? And when Isaiah saw the holy presence of the Lord Almighty at that moment, everything changed for him. He would never, ever be the same. And, and he saw him high and lifted up and he cried out, Woe to me, I am ruined. I, Isaiah is saying, I can't go back to normal after knowing what I know about God. There's a, a moment like this in the New Testament. It's a powerful passage where, where Jesus just shares some incredibly hard truths with the crowd in, in, in John chapter 6. And he, he tells the crowd what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And people, they were following Jesus because they wanted the benefits, but they did not want to make any sacrifices. And when Jesus shared these hard truths, the crowds, they left. They spread out. They went away. And the only ones left were the disciples. Those who were closest to Jesus, doing life with Jesus. Not only hearing what he said, but seeing what he does. He says this, to the twelve, do you want to go away too? Do you? And Simon Peter answered, I love this. He says, Lord, to whom will I go? To whom will I go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You know what Peter's saying right here? He's saying, you've ruined me. I, I can't even begin to pursue anything else after getting this close to you. It's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. Those who are this close to God are ruined forever in the best sort of way. Those who are this close to God understand that he is worthy of our worship. Look at verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, 
The 24 elders, they fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and they say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. These 24 elders, they're not looking at each other saying, Yikes, I really did like worship today. How about you? Yeah, did you see the pastor was wearing tennis shoes today? That was weird. Is he even wearing socks? You know, I, I don't, I, I thought, you know, service was a little long. Maybe, maybe the songs were a little repetitive. We're not here to bicker over preferences. At Valley Church, we major on the majors. And these elders are majoring on the majors. They are majoring on worship. They are singing a forever song to a forever king. And don't get me wrong, I mean, today I have my favorite songs. I have songs that I love and I listen to when I sing and I, you know, I'm streaming music in my car and in my office. I stream music while I'm at the gym. I listen to music like everywhere. And I regularly check in on new releases because I'm burning through worship albums, you know, like they're whatever. I just go through them more album, more. And I listen to some so much that I don't even want to hear it anymore. So do you know what I do? I like pop open iTunes, I open Spotify, and I look for coming releases because I'm a consumer. I'm a consumer, and, and that's actually a me problem. You might want to write this down. We were not created to consume worship. We were created to be worshipers. And that's why worshiping the wrong things often comes so easily. We were created to worship. We worship things by showing worth. Have you ever knocked God off the throne just to put your own thing on the throne? Maybe, maybe you wanted to sit on the throne. We often surrender to our feelings, to our desires, to, to our pleasures and our preferences. But if we could just see and understand how worthy God is of our worship, you and I, we would never ever place anything else on that throne. We would cast our crowns before him and we would worship him. The elders aren't complaining. They would never complain because they understand that worship isn't for them. They're, they're giving everything they have to God because he's worthy of worship. Every once in a while, I catch myself complaining about things that I don't have. And I'm telling you this, one day I'm going to be in the presence of God and I'm going, to, I'm going to set everything of worth that I have down at his feet. I'm going to give it to him. You know, when, when I'm handed a crown, when I enter the kingdom, if they're like, Brandon, here's your crown, here's some jewels, you know, thanks, good and faithful servant. Anything of value that I have, when I see him, just like the elders, I'm going to bow down before him and place everything I have at his feet. And I'm going to do that willingly. I will not do that begrudgingly. It will be a joy to offer my king everything that I have. This king is like no other king. There is no rival. The kings of this kingdom, the kings of this world are nothing compared to the Lord, our God Almighty. It's not even close. And, and while we're here on earth, like we can worship him in many ways. Worship comes out of us in song. I mean, we know that. Some of us assume that that's the part of the service where we are worshiping, but we're doing it right now too. Like we worship God in the word. It also comes out of us with, with shouts of praise and adoration. 
Uh, worship comes out of us when we fall on our knees. Worship comes out of us in our, in our giving, in our boundless generosity. Worship comes in our obedience. Worship just comes in so many different ways. And worship is always a response. We don't start with the worship. We start with how awesome God is. We always start with how awesome God is. That's why we here at Valley Church are a Bible-teaching, gospel-spreading, Jesus-centered church. We always want to point to the Lord God Almighty who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. It's funny because so many of us spend a majority of our lives pursuing something of worth when, when the one who is worthy is actually pursuing you. Let me just tell you, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus does that, and it's actually Jesus who says that. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know, as you're pursuing something of worth, the greatest gift has been pursuing you. Jesus has lived this amazingly perfect life. He's died a sacrificial death and through the resurrection has single-handedly defeated sin and death. And he's pursuing you. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The gift of salvation is a gift to you through Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to God, the more you realize he is worthy of our worship. How could we worship anything else? Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your love, your encouragement. Thanks for your word. Continue to grow us and sharpen us all for your glory, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Love you guys.